there is an actual cap on your business as it currently stands. You're just not articulating it because you're afraid of saying, well, if I can only take 10 people, then they'll think I'm a small business or whatever. But if you said I only take 10 people, even though it is your actual cap, it has a very different feel to it. The wealthiest people in the world see business as a game. This podcast, The Game, is my attempt at documenting the lessons I've learned on my way to building acquisition.com into a billion dollar portfolio. My hope is that you use the lessons to grow your business and maybe someday soon partner with us to get to $100 million and beyond. I hope you share and enjoy. I think that duality is super powerful. So that's why I wanted to stack them. We're talking about other stacks in a minute too. Stack them back to back because I think you can hold two thoughts at one time. I think you can have this concept about your life where you want to reflect on the final days yet have tremendous freaking urgency in the moment, right? And, And have concepts that move the needle every single day of your life. Why do I say that? I think there's two types of people right now on the planet. There's the seminar goer person who's all in the thoughts and the clouds about reflection and energy and this and that and the other thing. And frankly, they're not getting around to making their life matter day to day. Then there's the people that you and I used to be, which is we're making our life matter every single day, but we have none of the energy, the spirituality, the concepts of time in our life. And so I think the duality, the complexity of those two things, the contradictions is what makes this conversation the most valuable. Can I add one thing to that? Please. So I, 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 in in the comments on YouTube and things like that, I know that a lot of people struggle with that concept. And so I wanted to give a different example that I think might drive this home. You already do believe multiple contradictory things at the same time. You believe in justice and you believe in mercy. You believe in variety, you believe in consistency. Mm. And so there are these yins and yangs that exist. And it's not to say that the white part of the yin or the black part of the yin is right. It's understanding the middle path. And I think wisdom is knowing when to do what. Mm. And so it's when am I using justice versus mercy? Mm. It's not that justice is right and mercy is wrong or mercy is right and justice is wrong. The wisdom is allows us to walk in the gray and be comfortable and, and select which is appropriate for the moment. Oh, brother. So good. Yesterday. I was coaching someone who used to lead a pretty big country, a big one, <laughs> and, um, and we had this conversation. He said, you know, when I was really at my most productive, I operated out of fear often, mm-hmm. and now I'm constantly forcing myself to operate out of gratitude and abundance mm-hmm. and all these other things. And I said, sir, the truth of the matter is it's knowing when to select those mechanisms. Fear mm-hmm. is not necessarily a negative emotion. It's the abundance of it that can become negative or too much of it. But if you never leverage fear, heck, fear helped me prepare for this podcast today. I don't want it to bomb. I want it to do great, right? So there's there's leverage in everything. And wisdom truly is, I love what you just said, of knowing which lever to pull when and know when, yeah. knowing when the right part of it applies. So good, man. Again, I'm sitting here in front of a 32-year-old. I don't mean to you know, for a lot of people listening to this, they're like, 32 is old. I'm 23, right? So I want to make sure that I don't use my own age bias. But at the same time, I think I had many of these thoughts when I was your age, but I certainly don't have the ability to articulate them like you do. And I'm super, super impressed. With you. I just want to acknowledge you because you're serving millions of people right now. Also, I think you could serve them with parts of your story they don't know. There are people listening to this right now that are, are failing. They're, they're bleeding money and maybe they've just had a business shut down or the last two years has wiped them out a little bit or they're, they're looking right now going, all right, I'm going to have to make a pivot. So you're a guy who had a lot of success building gyms. It was really, really going well, as I understand it. You go over the next one, you pour all the juice from all the profits into the yeah. next one, and you go bust. So there was a point where this man that I'm talking to right now, by the way, not that long ago, was busted. You yeah. were broke. What did you do when you were on your ass? Were you on your ass mentally ever, or was it just a physical being broke? And then what did you do to make a move? Because there's a lot of people right now, right where you were. I just focused on the controllable. 
So there was a lot of things that I felt like I could not control or, or that were circumstantial, et cetera. And so it was just, it's kind of like the simplicity thing of like, what are the few levers that I have at my disposal? And at the time I was like, I know how to market and I know how to sell. Mm. And so that's what I'm going to do. Mm. And so I, I, <laughs> the, the, the story's crazy, but, um, I had a credit card left from all the businesses that I had sold and then lost all the money, but I still had the credit card and Amex, thank God, had not actually changed my credit limit. So I had a hundred thousand dollar credit card and I wanted to launch gym launch, which was like this turnaround business where we'd fly out to gyms. And so we had six guys that I had already recruited and I thought this cash was going to be there and it wasn't. And so I put $3,300 a day on a credit card and I only had a thousand dollars in my bank account. And so every day I was becoming $3,300 poor. And when we started that, I didn't even have a payment processor because we got shut down. And that was where the extra money was supposed to come from. And so we were, we were doing, you know, I had, it was 3,300 a day in hotels, airfare, uh, ad spend, rental car, per diem food for all the sales guys who were out on the road, like doing the gym turnarounds. And I could not process the money that they were sending contracts over from. And so I'm seeing these contracts stack and stack and stack, and I had no way to process it. And I'm just watching this debt bill go up. And I got a processor the last week of the month and it was only for 50 grand. And we had like $300,000 in contracts and I had a hundred thousand in expenses, but he was like, Hey, it's per month, which means on the first of next month, you can run another 50. <laughs> and so I ran 50 on like the 28th of January. And then I ran 50 on February 1st. I got two more that week and got us another 50. So the two fifties back to back covered my hundred K from the last Whoa. month. And that was like, kind of like the, the plane coming under, there's like way more of me about to lose it, like, and losing it again and again after that. But, um, I can, <laughs> I can go as, as deep on that side as you want, but well, like, where were you mentally? I mean, were um, you mentally when that's happening? You're like, my dad was right. He's got me. Or were you like, still, I'm going to prove him wrong. I, oh, I was. So I had made the decision that I would either die or I would succeed. And so I didn't know when it would happen. I just figured if I continued. So I, I, I so if there's one thing for the audience, for anyone who's going through it right now, the, the refrain, the repeated message that I had to myself over and over again was, I cannot lose if I do not quit. Mm. And so it was, that was under my control. Mm -hmm. Then when I would talk about like controlling the controllable, like, I could choose not to quit. Mm -hmm. And so if I could just have that, then it meant like, it was like this tiny little thing is like, if I don't quit, I didn't lose. Mm -hmm. It just means I still get to play. And when you think about like, I think I can't remember if it's Aristotle's or Plato, but he says like, you shouldn't judge a man until the day he dies. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have an amazing life. And then the last five years, like everything goes <laughs> and you get executed publicly. It's like, wow, would people say you had a good life or a bad life? Like you can only judge after the man is dead. Mm -hmm. And so I also think about that within my own life now. Like mm -hmm. when you think about like, what's the leverage for the next, mm -hmm. for the next chapter, it's like, well, I'm not dead yet. And so I got to keep going. Cause that's what, you know, that's what we're going to look back on. And so I had this little thing that I could protect, which is my willpower. And it's just like, if I do not, quit, I cannot lose. Mm -hmm. And so I was so afraid of losing that just not quitting became the one thing. And so if I just kept moving one foot at another, one phone call after another, one sales appointment after another, I knew that if I did that long enough, eventually it would turn around and I could <laughs> myself out yes. of the situation. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm blown away because I have equated only losing with quitting all of my life. And the reason for that is, I just want to share because we're going back and forth. Well, my dad, my dad was an alcoholic when he got sober. I said, dad, are you never going to drink again? He goes, I can't promise you that. I'm just not going to quit for one more day. Or, I'm not going to drink for one more day. And many, many times in my business, I'm like, I can't, I, I am incapable mentally right yeah. now saying I'm never going to yeah. quit. That's a like 80 year decision yeah. based on a bunch of crap right now, but I can decide not to quit for one more day. Yeah. And that means I have not yet lost. I literally equated quitting with losing. Yeah, and so totally. no matter how behind in the score I was, yeah. 
I had not officially lost the game. The clock has not run out until I go, I quit. Yep. And so I was still in the game. So this, this concept, I just, I love when someone says stuff and I put it through my life barometer, mm-hmm. my meter. I'm like, nope, I did that. You're exactly right. I know someone who did that. You're exactly right. What a great answer. Now you're talking a lot about stacks. By the way, can you guys, if we did a show, by the way, that's moves this quickly through stuff before like, bam, 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 let me get more in your brain. Let me get more in your brain. I almost feel like I'm using you today. You know what I mean? Like I'm just working this dude through the whole show, but it's great to have somebody on that. I can just keep working for my audience because this is my family. Sometimes when you're talking to somebody like, all right, let me help you along here with this with you. I'm just like, go, go, go. Give them that one. Give them that one. Give them that one. And I love that about you. The stack stuff is super cool to me. And I love the terminology you. So now we're going to move a little bit back over yeah. to marketing yeah. and branding and all that kind of stuff. You have this thing called the scarcity stack. I'm a big believer in this. I yeah. just literally did a real estate deal based on the premise that you teach. Now, I would I didn't call it this, yeah. okay. but I don't think people get the concept here at all. And I think it's it's one of the lost art forms in marketing. And you describe it in a modern way. So what's the scarcity stack? So if we think about all exchanges as as forces between supply and demand, mm-hmm. right, within a marketplace. And I think the the more cycles I have in entrepreneurship, and I understand that I'm still young in the, in the game, um, the greater and greater appreciation I have for those simple two forces of supply and demand. And what's interesting is that you you can influence demand or you can artificially stimulate demand by by marketing stuff, by making increasing awareness about your thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so more people find out about it, so your demand goes up. And so that artificially shifts this the demand curve in your favor, and so you sell more stuff, right? The other side is not nearly as well used and I think is almost as powerful, if not more powerful than the demand side, which is how can I cut supply? And the first time I really saw this happen in person was I was at an Arnold Schwarzenegger charity event Mm -hmm. at his house and they wanted to introduce me to some of the big donors because we're big donors. And the guy was a jewelry, like mega dude, right? And so he had, and he was like a first generation from Serbia, hard dude, like, but he sold like, you know, $500,000 watches, things like that. And they had just raised the prices for the charity event from 15,000 to 25,000. And the charity organizer who made the introduction was like, yeah, we listened to George. He told us to do this thing. I was a little nervous about it. And he just said it so matter of factly, he said, whenever demand increases, you said cut supply. And when you look at what Chanel and Louis Vuitton and some of these, all these luxury brands do is like, they are masters of scarcity. And so when you can get someone into a FOMO situation where they yeah. fear missing out, you can actually trigger this incredibly emotional decision. And what it happens is you decrease the action threshold. And so you have a person who normally wouldn't take action. And so the scarcity, the fear of missing out on this opportunity decreases their threshold of taking action and they walk across the line. And if you use this concept of scarcity and use it within your business, where the way I like to think about it is that so whoever's listening right now, if you have a business or even if you're, if you're a salesman, whatever, mm-hmm. if you were to 100x your volume tomorrow, you probably couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. And so there is an actual cap on your business as it currently stands. You're just not articulating it because you're afraid of saying, well, if I can only take 10 people, then they'll think I'm a small business or whatever. But if you said, I only take 10 people, mm-hmm. even though it is your actual cap, mm-hmm. it has a very different feel to it. And what happens is you now actually pace your business at a point where you don't over overextend yourself mm-hmm. and you create a stronger pool of the customers into your world. Real quick, guys, you guys already know that I don't run any ads on this and I don't sell anything. And so the only ask that I can ever have of you guys is that you help me spread the word so we can help more entrepreneurs 
make more money, feed their families, make better products, and have better experiences for their employees and customers. And the only way we do that is if you can rate and review and share this podcast. So the single thing that I ask you to do is you can just leave a review. It'll take you 10 seconds or one type of the thumb. It would mean the absolute world to me. And more importantly, it may change the world for someone else. Here's what I like. If you can listen to the concept stuff and then do the hard work, those of you that are listening or watching this, to the application in your business. So this scarcity idea, you go, no, 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 I'm in the protein business, so we have unlimited amounts of protein. Then maybe the scarcity isn't the product, the scarcity is the time. Meaning that if they don't hurry up and start doing it, every day they fall by, like saving money. If you're in the financial services business, you go, no, 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 there's plenty of these contracts for investments or insurance. Yeah, but every day they don't move forward, there's a scarcity of time that they can make up for with mm-hmm. the compounding of money. Mm-hmm. So the getting the concept of FOMO or the, the yeah. limiting amount of it or how few people do it absolutely increases value proposition. So, so, so good. It's a, for, for the salesman in the room or in the room. <laughs> right. Think about it in terms of the opportunity cost or the cost of inaction. And so the nice thing is that you always have a cost of inaction that's amounting. And so that will typically stack in your favor as the salesman with every second that passes. And so all we have to do is direct the prospect's attention to the cost that is already happening, but they are just not aware of or focusing on. And so we just direct the attention and then all of a sudden what was non-existent becomes a problem. And so you see this in politics all the time, whatever they're talking about more becomes the hot topic of the election, but it's only because they're putting attention to it, not because people actually care more or less about it. Right. They're telling us that we should care yeah. more or less about it by the attention they're putting towards it. Right. 100%. And so this is the media are masters of this. And by the way, these things work so well, everyone, <laughs> that you have to leverage them ethically. Yeah. This is one of the things I just want to say up front, because these concepts of scarcity and FOMO, it has to be ethically stated and truthfully stated because long-term, if you push these levers the wrong way, you'll destroy your reputation if there's not a factual basis for what you're describing. Okay, if, a couple more stacks. I'll give you a – oh. No, uh, please So, So there's there's two elements of trying to create FOMO um, besides like risk reversal is a whole other thing with mm-hmm. guarantees and things like that. But there's scarcity, which is a function of the number of units, mm-hmm. and then there is – urgency, which is a function of time. And so a lot of people say scarcity and urgency, but they don't know the difference between the two. And so urgency is, it doesn't matter how many units I have, the deal ends tomorrow. Yes. Right. And so if you can't introduce that, and so I'll give you an example of like, well, we have protein. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you have protein, but I may have a Valentine's Day special that is Mm -hmm. ending this week. Mm -hmm. And then next month I might have a a spring special. But the thing is, is when I'm articulating to a prospect, I can say, hey, this particular promotion, ends tomorrow or ends in two days. Like you should get this starter to get, get your loan application in because like, I can't guarantee that as soon as we get into the spring, yeah. uh, springtime, we're going to have the same things. Yeah. Right. And then with, uh, with the scarcity component, uh, it's a function of units. And what you were saying earlier, there's always a way to think about it. Like with the protein, the, like I thought of a different example. I thought of flavors. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, just have a limited flavor. Protein's going to be here, but this particular flavor yeah. will not be. And so it's like you can always, or you can put scarcity in terms of the bonuses you add. So it's like, hey, I have proteins and they're all vanilla. Yeah. I was like, but for this month, I'm going to be adding a free workout or a free workout template or a nutrition template that I'm going to add with my protein, which I'm not going to be Okay. giving next. Going so it's, forward. so then what you can do is you create these additional value ads, which no one else is doing. And then with the additional value ad, you both add value and create scarcity at the same time to urge the person to take action. Yeah, very good. Sorry. See, no, 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 <laughs> please don't be sorry because that's informative even for me. Listen to me, everyone. This is, this is, I told you, you're going to get stuff on today's show. Yeah. This is why I do the show, by the way, I want to provide a value and a depth of insight between two people communicating that you wouldn't get anywhere else based on their experiences. And here's the thing on this. Listen to me, everybody. 
It is your ability to take these concepts that are absolutely surefire and find the applications in your own life. Get them with your team as well. I have to tell you, in business, I have found that the principles are sort of enduring over time. This FOMO concept or scarcity concept is as old as time. Technology, timing, marketing changes the application and the mechanism of which you deliver it. But this is not a new idea. It's new idea for 99.9% of you because nobody talks about these things anymore because they haven't done the hard work of how does this apply now? How does this apply now? Warren Buffett, we, you and I both still take advice from a guy who is double my age and I'm already old because the principles that this dude teaches are timeless. It's our ability to apply them now that separates us in our life. Trim and stack hack. What the heck is that? I wrote it down because it's a cool term. <laughs> so when we're when we're thinking, and this is this is if you have more control over the services that you're selling. Yes. So this tends to be a little bit more on the service side. Yep. You can still think through it from an e-commerce side, but I'm just going to apply this to service because it's easier. So the first thing that we like to do when we're when we're thinking about creating a new product line, or when I say a new service line, mm-hmm. we think about what are all the problems that our prospects are suffering from, and what are the things that are coming up on sales calls that they're saying they're struggling with, mm-hmm. or they wish that we could solve for them. And the way to think through this is tactically. What has to happen step by step by step? And there's a hundred mini steps. Like you think, oh yeah, we do these two things. If you really chunk down and zoom in and and look at the, it's like, well, they first, they have to click this thing and then they have to integrate their whatever. And then they like, there's all these micro steps. And so we list out all of these problems and then we translate those problems into solutions. Yeah. And so we word it as solution wording to the problem that we are solving. And then once we have, okay, this is, these are all the problems that we're now solving. These are the solutions. Okay. Now, how do we deliver on these solutions? Mm -hmm. So we can think about this in terms of like, we could have, we could have a a, a portal that does a training. We could do some sort of one-to-many thing. We could have a semi-private or small group. We could have it be in person. We could have it be remote. We could have it be a phone call. We could have it be a chat support. Mm -hmm. So I have something called a delivery cube, which kind of goes with this in terms of how you get into levels of service. Mm -hmm. So on one level of the cube, you have, what is the ratio of the people? So like, like I said, one-to-one, a small group, one-to-many, you have the speed of response. So it's like, is this going to be we respond instantly or is this so we respond in 24 hours or we respond by the end of the week? And then it's the quality of the service. Are you going to just get a frontline support rep or are you going to get a VIP, you know, Mm -hmm. concierge? Mm -hmm. And then the medium of that service, which is, is it Zoom? Is it in person? Is it a phone call? Whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a cube and I, I go in more detail about it. But when you're thinking through this, you think through those variables, how you're going to deliver the solution. And so we had the problems, we have the solutions, and then we think about how we're going to deliver the solutions. Mm-hmm. Okay, there we are. Now, when we think about that, we then write, what's the cost of delivering the solution? Yep. And so then we, we, we look at all of those things and we say, okay, if we had to prioritize just the ones that these people find extremely valuable, and that are low cost for us, mm-hmm. what if we just combined all of those and then took out the rest of them? So all the things that provide tremendous value and happen at very little or, or no incremental cost to us. And then that is what we will package together and then we'll bundle that whole thing as a much bigger problem-solving solution. Then when you put those things together and then you add some scarcity, you add some bonuses, you, you decrease the risk with some sort of guarantee if you can. Mm-hmm. If you add some sort of urgency around acting, then you have what I would consider a very compelling offer. And if you have a compelling offer, it makes it very difficult to be poor. Because, yes. <laughs> because what happens is when you make yes. offers that people feel stupid saying no to, they tend to say yes. Yeah. And when people tend to say yes to offers you have, you tend to make more money. And <laughs> if you did it and you designed your offer in a way that, it, that you provide a lot of value and it costs you very little to do it, you make lots and lots of money. Yeah. And so that is the idea. And we try to repeat that action as many times as we possibly can. Yeah. 
business. It's sort of business. <laughs> yeah. No, but if you step back and look at it, you take these very complicated things and make them simple. And to you, it's like, yeah, it's just, but what you just described is actually called four years of business in college, right? Distilled into like 90 seconds because that's exactly how business works. I have this other theory right now that's gone by the wayside in business and it just blows my mind. And that is like, at the end of the day, I want my existing clients to send me or customers to more clients and customers. And it, and, and of all of this stuff, it's like, I, I'm blown away by how little time. And I mean like almost none <laughs> with independent contractors or big old companies spend on the product oh, yeah. and the, in the client or customer experience yeah. with you. What did I feel? What energy did I get? that would make me want to tell someone else, you should have the same experience I had. Yeah. They spend all this time on everything other than that thing, which is the only thing that will cause your business to grow without your effort afterwards. So I want you to talk about that. This is like my favorite topic. So okay. I'm very excited about this. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to quote Naval Ravikant because I love this quote. He says, you only sell because you don't know how to market and you only market because you don't know how to build a product. Oh, gosh. Let's break down things to the basic units, right? There's, there's only five ways you can get more customers. Number one is you reach out to people privately. So you cold call, cold DM, cold email, whatever, right? The next one is that you make content that attracts people to you. They find your stuff, they discover it, right? The third is that you run paid ads, mm -hmm. right? And then the fourth is that you get affiliates and partners who, yep. who, who are other businesses who serve people like your customers and refer them to you. And then finally, customers tell other customers. Yes. So here's what's interesting is that if you think about when we talk about leverage, so this is going to come full circle, which is great. Yeah. The first four that I discussed have linear, they are linear in nature, meaning if I make 10 more dials, I can predict how many customers I'm going to get from that. 10 more reach outs, or I spend 10 more dollars on ads, or I make another piece of content. It's, there, it's relatively predictable in terms of what's going to come back. Mm -hmm. It is a linear equation. You add more in, you get more out. With a quadratic equation, you get a an exponential. And in, unfortunately, in the entrepreneurial space, people are like exponential. They say it a lot, but they don't know what it means. It really just means it multiplies, which is not what exponential is. Mm -hmm. But with a referral or a customer telling another customer, one person tells two, two tell four, four tell eight. And so one of the difficulties that I see a lot of businesses get into is they get to 3 million, or they get to 10 million, or they get to 30 million, especially like consumer products. Mm -hmm. There are constants in business. One is that the cost of acquiring a customer will go up over time because impressions will cost more money and you'll have more operational drag on your business. And so if those two are constants, then you have to have an opposing force that cannot be linear in nature that's going to contradict that. And so if you are in a consumer-based business, the only one that can counteract a one-way direction of increasing cost of impressions and infrastructure is the decreasing cost of acquisition because every time you get a customer, that customer brings you two more customers. Yes. And so that is like the great equalizer in business. And I had a firsthand experience with this recently with the, the book, the offers book, mm -hmm. because I made one post about it, one, and I didn't have a following a year, two years, you know, whenever mm -hmm. I put it, it was a year ago. And that book, from what I understand, it sold more than New York Times bestsellers. I just didn't do the politics mm -hmm. thing. Um, but right now it sold over 200,000 copies in the first year. And I have no paid ads. I have no anything. It was just because people were like, dude, you should check this book out. Yeah. And so I say that to say, like, if you nail that piece, everything else gets easier and it's easier to market and make money in the beginning and then harder yes. to fix it once you have a bad product. The reverse is also true is that it's harder to spend more time in the beginning fixing the product, but then when you scale, it's easier. And so the question is whether you want it to be hard to break through, and this may not be real for some of you, but like 
once you get to a $10 million enterprise, like it gets very difficult to break through that barrier if the product's not that good. That's right. And it's much harder to take the time and effort to fix the product. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do a quick segue here because this happens all the time. When This is just at least our experience with the portfolio companies we have. What got you to you know one or three million is not necessarily what gets you to 10 million, 30 million, because in the beginning, you need to sell something to someone mm-hmm. that you have to promote it. You have to promote the stuff you have, otherwise no one knows about you and you're obscure. And so people have to buy it. Where people make the mistake is that they get this positive reinforcement from the fact that they marketed and sold and think, I need to do more of that. And I'm going to say, yes, you will, but just not at this moment. Because at this point is actually a pause point. And the goal is not to even necessarily make tons of profit at this point. The goal is to fix the product such that you start to generate a significant amount of business from referrals. Until that occurs, there's no point in adding more gas to the acquisition engine because you're basically just setting yourself up for failure at a later point that will then reach a point of equilibrium where the only way to grow is to sell more people. And at some point you will run out of people to sell depending on the niche that you're, that you're going after. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is to actually alternate. So you focus on the acquisition in the beginning, you get one, I, we always say one product, one avatar, one channel. That's what you have to do to get to one to 3 million. And so at that point, then you fix the product. And if you fix the product, you will sneeze your way to 10 million without doing anything else. Mm -hmm. And then once you're at 10, if you have fixed the product and the customer experience such that you have a large percentage of your business come from word of mouth, now you've extended the LTV of the customer, you have increased growth profit per customer that you can now spend profitably and outcompete everyone else who just wanted to bulldoze their way to 10 million mm-hmm. with a lower LTV. And then you can go crush them on every other channel that they're on. And then you go back and say, hey, we're going to build a cold email team. Hey, we're going to build a cold call team. Hey, we're going to build a paid ads team. Hey, we're going to build affiliate partners and channel partners. And you can do that because you have so much f-ing extra profit per customer because yep. you spent the time up front to fix it and make it good. And you'll sleep better. Yep. And you've got proof of concept. So you yeah. just scale the crap out of it. Yeah. Um, no one's ever said that on my show. No one's everyone ever said that to me about the pause part in the middle and one of the most insightful really you would have had to have already done something significant in your life type breakthrough thoughts that someone's ever shared on the show and i almost want to move it to the very beginning of the show because it's so important i hope everybody stuck around for that i got one last question for you first i like you a lot i respect you a lot tell us where they can find you but then i got a better question for you at the end uh, the game podcast, Alex Ramosi. That's if you like podcasts, that's the easiest thing. If you like videos, we're on YouTube really big. And if you like short stuff, if you type my name on whatever social media channel, you'll probably find me. You, I told everybody this would fly by, but probably the fastest show I've ever done. Yeah. I mean, really the fastest show I've ever done before. Curious. And I don't even know what you're going to answer. So we go all the way back. You're this kid being raised by this, uh, dad, uh, that's pretty demanding dude. Uh, smart dude, all these options, go to Vanderbilt, crush it. By the way, in the middle there had a DUI, had some stuff happen that wasn't really good that I read about and you've turned it around, business failures, then tons of success, then multiple exits. And then obviously this really unique way of looking at business that's accurate, by the way, but you've worked really, really hard and you've sacrificed a lot of things in your life. You're still very young, but I grab you at 32. I'm curious if it was worth it. And I want you to be honest. Like if you had to do it again, would you do all this stuff again? Or would you have done something differently? If you could go back those 10 years, give up all your money. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you're back. You're 22 again. You're just getting out of college. Yeah. So I took all your money from you, which was our proposition earlier. Uh-huh. Would you go do all of this again? Or would you live a different life? I wouldn't do all of this again. I would do all of this better. But I would do, I would live this life. I mean, w- the, the moment you asked the question, I was like, the yes was in my throat just waiting to, for you to finish okay. <laughs> uh, the question. But like, I'll, I'll be a little crude. Um, Balls to bones, um, through and through. Like this is this is what I love. It's mm-hmm. my, it's 
it's my, it's, it's, it's what I love. I mean, I draw pictures about business. I write books about business. I make videos about business. I do business every day. Mm. If, if somebody doesn't have a business, it's difficult for me to be friends with them. Mm. Um, because we, we have so little shared context, not because it's their fault, but because I have nothing else that I, that I do in my life. And so they want to talk about biking and I'm like, that sounds cool for you. Mm. I have no interest. Mm. And people are like, what's your hobby? And I'm like, I don't have any, mm. and I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. And so I, it took me a while to just accept that that's okay. Yeah. And so I 100% would do what I do. I love what I do. This is the most fun thing in the entire world. And I, the, the, the deeper I get in business, the more I want to live a long time. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I didn't have earlier on in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I just, there's just so much I want to do that I just, I just, I, that's, you know, it's like I crammed a lot in 10 years. I'm like, I just, there's so much cool stuff and I, I want to do it all you know, as much within this world that, you know, mm. that we have. I can't wait to watch you do it. You're outstanding, brother. <laughs> You're outstanding. I really enjoyed today. A great deal.